your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians, chapter 2. If you have used version in the past on your smartphone or iPad, we are back on version uh, as the new year has started. And uh, the title for today is Soul Renovation, although probably from where you're standing it just looks like renovation. The soul's a little bleached out, all right? Soul Renovation is what they're looking for if you're on uh, version on that app, uh, to be able to follow along. So, let me ask you a question. How's your new year? Woo! Right? I mean, how many of you stayed up till midnight last night? You see your hands, alright? We got a large preponderance down here. How many of you tried to stay up and did not quite make it? Josh, really? You, you didn't make it? You're supposed to be in that I, I made it all the way category still. Alright, so... How many of you said, I don't care, I'm going to bed, no matter, I don't care when it comes. All right, here we go. All right. Uh, my children are in West Tennessee. Uh, they have been with their grandparents for the last few days, and we talked to them about 8.30 or 9 o'clock last night, and Mom was ringing in the new year with them at about 9.01. All right. They were going to have a party. They had their hats and their... their uh, their uh, shakers and all that, and they were going to bring that in. Now, New Year's and New Year's Eve is kind of an interesting time. And I had an interesting New Year's Eve yesterday. Um, first time in my life I've ever uh, participated in a funeral on New Year's Eve. Uh, many of you are aware that uh, uh, Miss Thelma Wagner, who um, was not a part of this church, but a neighbor of this church for decades, literally, passed away, and Alan... Uh, who is his mother-in-law's, Lucy Searcy's mom. Uh, Alan did most of the service, but I had the privilege of doing a closing prayer. Uh, Miss Thelma uh, had lived for almost 97 years. Uh, on January 11th would have been 97. And so it, I had that portion of the afternoon where I participated in a funeral and sang goodbye to a great lady. And then that, or yesterday evening, I got to perform my first wedding on New Year's Eve. Brian and Wendy Hawkins, who made it here today after the wedding, are here. And I, had, I did their wedding yesterday. And so it was kind of an interesting juxtaposition of a funeral and a wedding just within literally a few hours. And I thought about how New Year's Eve in some ways could be symbolized in that way. And I'm not trying to be insensitive here, but, but in some ways it is kind of like looking at the past and putting to rest some things in our past, and looking to the future in anticipation of a new start. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of evaluation. It's a time of consideration. It's a time when almost everyone in this country, believer, unbeliever, look at their lives and say, Who am I? And who do I want to be? Right? I mean, you look and you say, okay, what has the last year brought it? You see all these reflections of the top ten of the last year. Of the top ten, ever, you know, sports and news stories and entertainment stories and events and all these things. And they look back on the year that was and what was my year that was. And yet we look at who we are and we say, this is who I would like to be. Now, we call those resolutions. Uh, some people out here have made resolutions. Uh, some of you have already broken uh, resolutions. You had a 
you know, had a resolution that you were going to eat better and not eat so much junk or not so much, and you showed up to Sunday school today and they had donuts or had something specially cooked for the occasion. Uh, somebody in this room I won't mention uh, put on Facebook last night. I was up. Uh, I made it to midnight last night. In fact, I sent out an email, some of you got, at midnight last night, just saying Happy New Year, and don't forget we start at 9, uh, Sunday school in the morning. And somebody about 10 or 15, 20 minutes after midnight said that they had already broken their diet resolution because of their love for cereal. So you can find out whoever that's somebody in this room. So it's this time of year when we do that. I don't know what 2012 is going to bring. And if anybody says they do, they're lying. You know, there's some exciting things ahead for 2012. Uh, For the Larson family, we're expecting child number four. And so this summer is going to be an exciting time for that. Uh, In a worldwide sense, 2012 is a leap year, right? So we get an extra day to keep our resolutions. We are so excited about that. 2012 is the year when the Olympics happen. Always an exciting thing. They're in London this year. It'll be an exciting time. 2012 is the year when the the presidential election happens, and we're going to have to deal with that for the next 11 months. 2012, according to some, is the end of the world. And then we're not talking about crazy preachers this time. Right? The calendar, a Mayan calendar falls out. And so as you get closer to December you're going to be inundated with the end of the world. Here's what I know. I don't know what's going to happen in 2012. There are going to be changes. There are going to be amazing things. There are going to be exciting things. There's going to be times of good news. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be excitement. There are going to be surprises. I know that 2012 is unknowable. I know it's going to be full of change. I mentioned a fourth child coming into our family. That... It's going to change our family. The thing is, I know that already. Whatever happens with that child as we move forward is going to change us. But there are changes in my family I don't know about. And changes in yours that you're unaware of. The church is going to change. Physically, literally, the church is going to change. We're starting a renovation project in a little over a week. And this church is going to change in some ways in ways that it hasn't changed in decades from a physical standpoint. And over the next few weeks, what I thought about doing as we're moving into and becoming part of this renovation that's happening inside of our sanctuary and our children's area and our uh, foyer area and this floor, I thought, well, let's examine a more difficult subject than physical renovation. Let's examine what it would take and what it would look like if our lives were renovated to be more in line with what Christ desires. What if we, over the next few weeks, engaged in asking the questions, what does a soul renovation look like? An S-O-U-L renovation. Because here's the first thing that I want you to understand today. That it is this. As 2012 dawns, opportunity follows. As 2012 dawns, opportunity 
follows. While in some ways it is kind of, um, we kind of just make this, this line of demarcation between 11.59 last night and 12.00, between the ball dropping and counting 10, 9, 8, 7, and getting to that point where we say, Happy New Year, in some way that's an arbitrary moment. There's nothing magical that happens in that moment. It is an opportunity for us to evaluate and move forward. It is a moment of reflection. And no matter how long you've been a believer, no matter how long you've been alive on this earth, there are always good moments to stop and reflect on the things that have happened, but also on the opportunities that are ahead. One of the things I love about New Year's is that it is always a sense of optimism. I watched some of the coverage. Anybody watch some of the coverage in Times Square last night? And on one channel, they were in Times Square and Nashville. Those were those two, there are two places they were monitoring worldwide. But here's the thing they asked these people, what are your resolutions? What do you want to do? And nobody says, I want to be a terrible person this year. Right? I want to be meaner than I was last year. Well, I'll tell you what I want in 2012. I want to be as unhealthy as I can possibly be this year. No, nobody says that, do they? They're all optimistic. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better friend. I want to live better. I want to eat better. I want to lose some weight. I want to exercise more. Gym memberships are at an all-time high always on January 1st. Because people are optimistic about the year. And the truth is, Scripture teaches us that for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, every day can be a New Year's Day. Every day is an opportunity to evaluate and look forward to the opportunity. And I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God desires some great things for you this year. That He desires for you to grow and to be a part of it. It's an opportunity to grow and change and improve and a new beginning and a new start. And this is what I believe God desires for you in 2012. What God desires for you is for you to become fully you. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I'm reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Version, but it says in Ephesians 2, verse 10. We are His creation. Other translations, and we'll talk about that word in just a minute, are His workmanship or His masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Here's what I believe. I believe that God desires for you in 2012 to become more fully you than you have ever been. Because only God knows what it means for you to live to your full potential. Over the last couple of days, one of, one of the friends that I had uh, from Union has decided apparently to go through old pictures and post them on Facebook. Now, we were still friends until a couple of days ago because he's tagged me in some of the pictures. Um, there's a picture of me. I helped officiate his wedding uh, here at Inglewood Baptist Church in Nashville. There's a picture of me uh, doing that. 
he's a guy that grew up here, and so I actually got emailed a picture of a church member and uh, dressed up for a play at one time from a couple of years ago. He put a picture up of me. Uh, his wife was on the homecoming court at Union, and there's this picture of me. They've got the homecoming court set up nicely there to take their group photo. They've got their crown on and all of that. And I am just lounging in the background, spread out. And I looked at that picture. And Susan and I have, I mentioned last Sunday, the, uh, last Sunday uh, I mentioned that our storage room had flooded a little bit. And we, we've had the opportunity this week to go through all of the things that were in our storage room. And we found pictures of us when we first got married or from college. And I look at that picture and I think of all of the things that I had no idea were coming my way. And I look and I think back to when I was that young, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And I think about the potential that was there and the dreams that I had and the person that I wanted to become. And the truth is, some of those things have happened through the grace of God. Some of those things haven't happened. And some of those things didn't need to happen. But I think about the fact of how God has led me from there until this moment. Here's one thing that we need to realize as we move into 2012. The project of our lives is not our project, it's God's. It says in verse 10, we are His creation or His workmanship. The word used there is a word that was used, uh, kind of a synonym of work, but it was also a word that was used in the Greek Bible to denote what God did in creation. And I love the way this is said. What it really means there is that we are the first fruits or the first part or the first example of God's new creation. You realize that God at the end game, what God's goal is, what God will accomplish is that He's going to restore or renovate this world into the perfection He originally made it. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, right? In Revelation. What it says here and the way that the word is used is the first example of that or the first part of that is you and me who are followers of Jesus Christ. And that He who began a good work, as the Scripture says, is going to carry it on. It's not our project, it's His. He intends for us to flourish, to receive life from Him, to have it create vitality within us, and then to produce blessing beyond it. And what He wants to do is to create in you someone that is fully you. I'm going to say something that seems um, that may seem deep at the moment or may just seem silly, but it's true. You will always be you. Right? You will always be you. And here's what Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2. That God, before the foundation of the world, had you in mind for specific purpose and calling and reason. And that when He rescued you and saved you, He saved you in order for you to do what He's always intended for you to do. When you become a believer, it's not that God's going to transform you into somebody else. He's just going to transform who you already are into someone that lives for the glory of His name. Think about Paul for a minute. 
before Paul met Christ, what was he doing? What was he doing? Persecuting, right? And he was vibrant and bold and passionate and zealous. And he was all about persecuting believers. So Paul gets saved, right? So what does Paul do after he's saved? He preaches. He becomes passionate and bold and zealous and all about preaching Jesus. His personality doesn't necessarily change. It's the direction of the personality that changes. God doesn't want you to become clones of everybody else. He created you exactly as He wanted you to be. The question is, are you using what God intended for you to be for the glory of His name? He wants you to be fully who you are. Anybody ever known a strong-willed child? Anybody ever known anybody? We want a support group afterwards, all right? I read a story this week about a support, I mean about a support group. I read, I read that. But I read a story about a, a strong-willed four-year-old named Shauna. And I may have shared this earlier, but I just love this illustration because it just illustrates people are who they are. There is never a time in my life when I have believed more in God crafting people with specific personalities than when you have kids and how different they are. Well, Shauna was a four-year-old little girl, and she told her mom she wanted to go ride her bike. And her mom said, that's fine, Shauna, but listen, there are some rules and some parameters here. Here are the rules. You see the driveway. You cannot go past the driveway. You see the mailbox. You cannot go past the mailbox. There's a street out there. You must not get on the street. If you go past the mailbox or past the driveway, I'm going to have to spank you. And Shauna just looked up at her mom and said, well, Mama, you might as well go ahead and spank me because i got places to go. You ever known a strong-willed child? Now, God doesn't necessarily intend to change that child into a weak-willed child, but to change that passion into something for Him. It says here that we are God's workmanship. The, the word there literally is the word that from which we get the word for poem. That's why some people call it the, a, a piece of art, uh, something that, that, that is um, masterfully created by an artist. The intention here is that God wants us to become what we are. As part of the wedding uh, I got to perform yesterday, I, I was in a, uh, a mansion with some fine pieces of art. And these weren't those that are created in a warehouse somewhere. These are the ones that take stroke by stroke of a master artist putting paint to canvas. And as I looked at some of those and some of the sculptures and things, I was just flabbergasted to think of the time and attention it took for all that work to get done. And what Scripture teaches is that God has us as one of His projects and that we're constantly being molded and shaped by Him. Now here's what that does for us. It frees us up in some ways. Because if all I have to do is to be fully me, then I can get rid of some me's that I'm trying to be. Before we get too far into what sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, you know there, there are other parts of you that... that there's that, that person that you think you ought to be. So, well, I should be doing this, and I should be doing that, and I should be this way, and I should be less passionate here, or I should be more forceful there, or I should, should, should. 
Now, maybe there are some things that God is working on in your life, but it doesn't mean you have to change completely who you are. You don't have to be the me that you pretend to be. You ever been around somebody that pretended to be somebody that they weren't? You ever heard somebody in a conversation and you knew, whether they knew it or not, that that's not who they are? You ever found yourself in a conversation realizing that you're saying words that you would never use and using language, good or bad, that you would never use, trying to pretend to be somebody you're not? You don't have to be the person that other people want you to be. You ever felt expectations on you? Well, you should be doing this. You ever had expectations from family or friends or parents or children or teachers or co-workers or bosses? Don't you think you ought to be doing this? The point is that God has already created you as you are. The question is whether or not you're going to allow Him to live through you in a way that brings glory and honor to His name. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Basically, it says we are the work of God to do the works of God. We are saved by God to do the things of God. And all we have to do is just to walk in them. The interesting thing about that last part is it gives us the key for the way that we live for the Lord and we have our souls renovated and we have our lives shaped by the gospel. And it is simply this. To become fully you, we must follow Jesus. It says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, that all we have to do is walk in them, is to follow them, is to be behind them. It gives this picture almost of what you see in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when Jesus walks up to His disciples and says, Follow Me. We've got to live like Him. Jesus gave us the model. Scripture gives us the model. He loved. He served. He healed. He prayed. He gave His life for us. And in the power of God, He became fully who He was. He showed us a pattern. We are the first of a new creation and we are to walk in step with Him. Now here's the truth. The only way that we can walk and follow Christ is to walk and follow in the things that He showed us to do. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some of those things more specifically. We're going to talk about how to do that in our uh, personal life, in relationships. We're going to talk about how to do that even in finances. We're going to talk about how to do that in different ways in renovating our soul. But the question that I have for you this week is, as you enter 2012, are you prepared? Are you ready to allow God to work in you the workmanship, the masterpiece He intends? Here's what I want to ask for you to think about this week. As you begin 2012, as you begin walking together through today and the rest of this year, let me give you five action steps for this week. If you've got a pen, write them down. If you're taking notes on your, on your smartphone or iPad, write these down. And these are just the beginning steps of some phases to begin to become fully you. First of all, pray. Pray that God will help you to realize who you are supposed to be. 
You may not even understand fully what that means, but just pray that God will show you who you're supposed to be. And in that prayer, maybe spend some time and maybe one day this week pray, God, show me the things in my life that I'm doing just because I'm trying to please other people. God, show me the things I'm doing in my life just because I think I should be, but they're not from you. Secondly, spend time in God's Word this week. The single biggest day on version that we use for the, the, um, the app that we use to, to um, let you follow along uh, on your smartphone, version, which is an online Bible reading place, January 1st is the biggest day they have for people subscribing to reading plans. If you have a computer and you get on the Internet at all, you can go to uversion.com and you can sign up. They, they've got about 30 ways to read the Bible in a year. You've got different ways you can read Bible daily without reading it through for the year. They've got devotionals. Find somewhere like that. Go to the store and buy a, a, a read through the Bible in a year. You can ask us about them. If you don't get started exactly today, just sometime this week, Begin to spend some time. You don't have to read through the Bible in a year to spend time in God's Word. Just begin. Maybe study your Sunday school lesson. Spend some time in God's Word. Three more practical steps. Sometime this week, have a deep conversation with a friend who is a believer about your current spiritual condition. You know the difference between a deep and a not deep conversation, right? A not deep conversation is, how are you doing in your spiritual life? I'm great. How about you? I'm good. Good. We'll talk to you later. Or how is your spiritual life? Oh, it's good. What about this weather? I mean, it's going to be 20 tomorrow. Isn't that crazy? Have a deep conversation. Someone in your Sunday school class, someone from the church, maybe a friend that doesn't go to this church. Two more. Encourage one person a day this week. Find somebody in your life, maybe a different person each day, and once a day, write a note, write an email, send a text, call them, talk to them in person, go over, make them something, give them something, encourage them in some way. One person per day. And then here's the last one. Sometime this week, tell somebody about what God has done for you. Maybe it's a grocery store clerk. Maybe it's a waitress or a waiter at the restaurant you go to this afternoon. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's your spouse. But tell someone. Here's the point of all of this. Is as believers in Jesus Christ, we shouldn't let an opportunity to reflect on what God intends for us to do in the next year pass us by. In your order of service today, you got a handout. Some of you have already written on it and that's okay. Or if you discarded it, that's not okay. Ten questions to ask to start a new year. You say ten, that looks like more than ten. It is, it's 31, all right? He does ten and then he does that sneaky thing like a pastor who's got four conclusions, right? After this will be done, after this will be done, all right? He does ten and he goes, in addition, here are 21 other ones. He recommends a couple of things, sitting down and going through this over the next few days or taking one question a day for the next month of January and spending time Asking it and answering it and dwelling on it. It's from a professor at Southern Seminary named Don Whitney. Uh, You can see he's got a website on the back if you'd like to investigate more. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this. We are His creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. 
My question for you this morning is, how are you going to walk in the good works God has prepared for you in 2012?